to James chapter 3. This morning we want to focus primarily on verses 3 through 8, but I'm going to go ahead and start at verse 1 and read down through verse 12 once again. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is God's word for us this morning. And here is what God says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are very large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of Reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There is no word like your word that you have given us your word, may we treasure it, for it is a treasure. And may you teach us this morning from your word, not just so that we might know some things we wouldn't maybe know otherwise, but that your word, which is living and active, would change us, transform us, even as it's speaking of our words and our speech and our tongue, may you transform us this morning. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began this new unit. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 3, and it'll take us over to chapter 4, verse 12. The common theme or thread that runs through this unit addresses our words, our speech, our tongue. But at the middle of this unit, 
it also addresses the underbelly of our speech and our words. It gives us crucial instruction about our hearts and about wisdom, which our tongues reveal either the presence of wisdom in our hearts or the absence of wisdom in our hearts. Today's verses stress, today's verses being three through eight, stress the incredible power of the tongue. And there's two things I want us to think about from today's verses. First, I want us to see something of the underlying power of the tongue. And then we'll take a consideration of the uncontrollable power of the tongue. First of all, some things about the underlying power of the tongue. Verses, primarily verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. You and I were made in the image of God. There's no exceptions to that this morning. And part of what it means, I don't think it just never just means one thing, but part of what it means that we are made in the image of God is that, is that you and I, like God, get to use words. We get to, we get to put together sentences and speak. Now, his words, his speech is infinitely more powerful than ours. He is able to use his words to create things out of nothing. Before there was a physical universe, there was just the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when they up and decided to, to put some things in place, all they had to do was speak it. That's the power of words right there. Now, our words are not as powerful as God's word. And yet, there is something of a commonality or a parallel between the reality of the fact that we made in his image, we get to speak. We get to use words. And those words are powerful. Maybe they, can't, maybe, that, maybe they can't create something from nothing. But they could sure shape and influence the people around us for good or for bad. They could have a profound impact on people. They could provide wonderful healing or they could inflict devastating harm. Your words and my words are powerful enough to do that. The old adage Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't think that's true. Now, I know the difference. Well, I don't know if I know that. I think I know the difference between you hit, taking a stick to me and, 
and, and you letting me have it with a verbal barrage. But both of them can be harmful in their own unique way. The power of words. And, and James uses three successive illustrations to underscore how a little thing can have such big impact. Or a little thing could have such big impact. That would be a better use of the hands, wouldn't it, to buttress? There, there's a, the, 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 the influence, the power of our tongue is improportionate to its size. He says, now, in, in verse 3, uh, the, the power of the tongue is, is a lot like a bit that is put in a horse's mouth. And the rider of that horse can utilize that bit to control the whole horse. An 800, 900-pound horse could be controlled by a 70-pound runt. All because of a bit or a bridle in the mouth of that horse. A very small thing that can accomplish very significant things. Or it, it's, it's like a rudder in a ship. There's this big ship and it's being blown any which way with these powerful winds and, and, and yet there's a guy steering the boat and he's got control of the rudder and, uh, and in spite of the huge size of the boat, in spite of the, in spite of the huge massive influx of winds, uh, it's, it's the rudder that, per, per, that has great influence over the direction of that ship. A very small thing. that can have very significant impact. Or, huge, lush forest can be engulfed and devastated in moments by a careless spark. I don't think we understand that what James is talking about with the illustration of a bit or a bridle, the illustration of a rudder on a ship, the illustration of a spark, it only takes a spark. Well, that's a different song, isn't it? But it, the, the spark to set ablaze a whole fire, a forest fire. When you and I open our mouths to speak. On the one hand, it's a little thing. On the other hand, it's a significant thing. I don't think we realize how effectively we can cut and harm just simply by opening our mouths and letting words flow out. Now, I think we could easily apply um, what James is saying, particularly about our literal speech, um, and uh, we could apply that to this. 
We, uh, we have been endowed with a culture of social media. And uh, sometimes the fingers can do some of the ugliest kind of talking imaginable. I was, I was uh, stalking Twitter yesterday, in fact, and I like to keep up on the shenanigans that are unfolding in the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, it's amazing how many Southern Baptist pastors who have the emotional maturity of a middle schooler. Uh, for the cause of Jesus. So, for instance, yesterday, these uh, two uh, ministers or pastors um, were, um, obviously, they don't have James 3 in their Bible, uh, uh, but they were in this heated debate for Jesus, of course. It's for Jesus. Um, and the, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The one actually ended up calling the other one a fat slob. I'm like, this is, this is beautiful. I think you both should be tossed. Not from Twitter. I don't have control over that. But, but you should reassess whether or not you are mature enough to be a pastor. Now, you don't have to be a pastor to, to, to blow it massively uh, by demonstrating that our little tongues can, can wave big and make a big impact. It, it, it was, my point is, is that we could certainly do that literally by our words as they come out of our mouth, but we could do, by, do that also by the words that we formulate with our hands on the typewriter, the keyboard, rather. You understand. Don't make me call you a name, but you know, by, 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 yeah. The, 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 the huge impact. Now, now, on the one hand, the, the problem with just looking at verses three through eight is, on the one hand, verses three through eight just underscore the huge problem the tongue is. Uh, and, and, and underscore how uncontrollable it is. And, and yet, and, and, and the, the, the true solution doesn't come to, to later verses in this unit. And yet, I would suggest to you that we would, for now, just even mull over uh, the, the, the fuller significance of using the illustrations that he uses. And that is, on the one hand, this little bit or bridle can control this big horse. On the one hand, this little rudder can control this huge ship in the midst of a massive windstorm. And on the other hand, this little spark can erupt and burn down a whole forest. So something little can have big impact. And, and, and yet it stands to reason that by the illustrations, if you play them out a little bit longer, part of what James is going to get to eventually is that in addressing the tongue, as big of a problem as it is, it's not even really the, the real problem. It's just the presenting problem. For while that bit controls the horse, there is a rider who controls that bit. So while the rudder controls that ship, there's a pilot controlling that rudder. Who or what 
is controlling our speech. That's a question that doesn't get fully resolved in, in today's reading. It's like a cliffhanger. You've got to come back next week if you're interested. So. And yet, for a moment, let me just take us out of James and consider in a positive way, because James is kind of negative. It's January. I'm already kind of in a funk anyway. Uh, and, uh, and James is talking about your mouth is a mess. I'm like, thanks, James. I really makes me feel warm. Um, but it's it's our tongues are powerful. Our words are powerful. Our speech is powerful. Just God has endowed us with this powerful thing that could be used to harm, can be used to heal. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And then he goes on to cast that in a positive way. But only such. So what should I let come out of my mouth? Glad you asked, Paul says. But only such as is good for building up others as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. That's three things I want to highlight. If we want the power of our tongue to heal others and not harm others, then there are three elements or aspects to how it is that this wonderful provision of being made in the image of God, the ability to speak, the ability to use words can be used to heal. First, let... Uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up others. Now, that's a very revolutionary purpose for speech. We are told uh, by the psychological elite today in our culture uh, that our words are really um, all about oneself, self-assertiveness. In other words, it's very therapeutic and very cathartic to get it off your chest. And so the agenda for words is, my words make me feel better. Isn't that how you do it when you fight with your spouse? How come you're looking at me that way? True. I got one honest soul this morning. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Uh, in other words, there's something we got to say, and when we say it, now we, we kind of know that it's probably going to be a train wreck, but oh boy, it's an enjoyable train wreck. We know that's, we, we, most of us at least, when we're thinking about it, this is not, this is, How's that working for you? It's not going to work for you. But, but, oh, there's something driving us at that moment that I got to say this because at least for a moment, I, I can clean up the mess later, maybe. But at least for the moment, oh, do I feel good 
<laughs> but James says, but, but Paul says that, but, 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 but the agenda for our words is not uh, our own personal therapy, but really the betterment of the person that we're about to speak words to for the building up of others. In other words, your words are not for you. Your words are for others. Your words are not for your benefit. Your words, our words, are for the Lord's benefit to be a means, an instrument of building up others. particular, we are to use our words to help others grow and develop in the Lord. Now, I, I know, I know I, I, when, when, you, when you start hitting in our hearts in ways that convict, you want to like retaliate and you say, well, oh, well, Joe, I bet you, you use your words all the time, just only, I mean, don't pull dying aside after the service. And give her a pop quiz. I'm telling you what the scriptures call us to do. The scriptures call us to use our words not for selfish therapeutic work, but for the betterment of others. We have been given speech. We have been given words being made in the image of God that we would heal others. Second, he says, as fits the occasion. So in other words, uh, uh, this may be the right thing to say. Otherwise, it, it, might, it might result in building up and not just being self-therapeutic. It, it, it might be a good thing to say, just not right now. Just because it pops into your head that it might be helpful. And even if it is truly helpful, the second criteria you use is, okay, now, but is this the right time and the right place? Sometimes I, I really think, I'm not trying to be completely crude, but sometimes I think we, we think of our words as, as kind of an, a similar experience to vomiting, and that is it's just really hard, hard to hold that thing back when, when it's time to throw up. Remember what James says earlier, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I take that to mean that when Paul says, as fits the occasion, that we, we should really be doubtful of ourselves when we think this is the right time. <laughs> God. Well, it's on my mind right now. Probably not. Because it being on your mind is not the criteria to let them have it. Is it going to help them right now is the criteria. Now, I'm just going to touch on something, and I think it falls under the rubric of as it fits the occasion. I don't know quite know what to do with this, but we are living in a very fragile time. 
And um, one of the evidences of that is our culture has adopted uh, these things called trigger words. And in other words, there, there are certain words now that um, people are not permitted to use because they, they might trigger or cause emotional damage or harm uh, to other people. I don't, I don't think our default setting should be, oh, to heck with that garbage. I think our default setting should be, you know what? I, I, maybe I should be careful about the words I use and how they might affect somebody. Now, certainly, I wouldn't think we should absolutize that. For instance, ultimately, ultimately, we would... We would let God define what appropriate words are and calling things what the scripture calls things are. Our culture would say, well, you can't say such and such is sin because that would be a trigger word. That would, that would, that would endanger my feeling of safety. And, and we have to navigate that with, with wisdom. We, we should always use our words certainly in honor of the Lord and, and in obedience to his word and, and yet, having said that, that doesn't mean that you and I always need to go Western on people and, and validate our use of harsh or mean words because it's right there in the Bible, ain't it? I don't have a perfect solution to this. I do think we have to be aware of how our words land on people. I think we have to couple that and look for the wisdom as to how we there then engage a culture who has an ever-expanding list of trigger words to nevertheless ultimately seek to honor the Lord in the words that we use. And yet our heart ought to be, we would never just want to carelessly use words that would be a trigger to harm somebody. Right. Related to that, the third thing he says, um, that, that it may give, in other words, that we would use words for the good of building up others as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. In other words, the end game of why we would use words is that we would want our words to be instruments of grace. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every word would be completely nice in every way you would define nice. But it would mean that even when we have to say hard words, that we understand that, that we better be able to connect the dots as to why we are using hard words because the ultimate goal of these words, even these hard words, is that it might give grace to those who hear it. We would never use words just simply to slash and burn. We would use words ultimately that they might be used to bring grace and healing. Now, jumping back to, to James. So James talks about the uh, underlying power of the tongue. It's got the power to heal. It's got the power to harm. Now, here's the other thing that James says, and this is where it, gets, it can be really discouraging. 
particularly um, if you want to be strong and self-sufficient in and of yourself. Picking up in verse um, 6, kind of verse 6 overlaps, but how great is a forest set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is powerful. But the tongue is problematic. The, the tongue can, is likened into a spark that gives rise to a fire that results in devastation and destruction. In a very unflattering way, he says, there's a world of unrighteousness in your mouth. It can set the world on fire, uh, the, the, the fire from hell. It's a restless evil. There's an evil in your mouth that won't take a break. It won't let up. It's full of deadly poison. In other words, it can kill somebody in a heartbeat. And then he says, and no human can tame it. No human can stop the manifestation of the world of a world of unrighteousness. No manifestation, no human can quench the fire from hell in your mouth. No human can put to rest the restless evil in your mouth. No human uh, can, uh, can abate the deadly poison in your mouth. But what he doesn't say, even though he says no human can tame the tongue, he doesn't say in an absolute way that the tongue cannot be tamed. Just that no human can do that. It can be done. Just that I can't do that. It can be done. It's just that you can't do that. I can't tame my tongue? You say, well, we've seen evidence of that. And you can't tame your tongue. Don't talk to me that way. Might I suggest to you that the first thing that James is trying to establish here before he goes on to give a fuller answer is that the first step to dealing with our tongue is to own it. 
This is a blunt way of putting it. Hopefully there's some grace in here somewhere, but you can't fix your tongue. You can't control your tongue. You can't deal with your tongue. And the sooner that you and I realize I don't have what it takes in and of myself, I don't have the intrinsic ability or resources to remedy this problem. I can't combat a world of unrighteousness in my mouth. I can't quench the fires of hell in my mouth. I I cannot subside the restlessness of evil in my mouth. I, I cannot put away the deadly poison in my mouth. I can't do this. Hey, we're getting closer to to a solution then. In other words, we have to own it. We we can't, we can't, we can't, in other words, to unpack this. If we're going to find the source of the tameability of our tongues, we can't pass the blame. We can't blame our hurtful words on our wounded souls. We can't blame our hurtful words on our personality bent or preference. We can't blame our hurtful words based upon our past. We can't blame our hurtful words on the people who are around us. We can't blame our hurtful words on our past or or present difficulties or situations. I'm not trying to minimize because some of you have walked in woundedness and uh, and have personality quirks and have past difficulties and have weird people around you and, and have difficult present circumstances way beyond what I've faced. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm just trying to say, to, even if you have it to a greater degree than I do, we would just simply say those things certainly shape and influence us, but they are not determinative of how we use our words. We use our words based upon what's percolating inside of us. And what's outside of us just simply draws out what's already inside of us. And until we own that, there's no solution. If the problem is always the knuckleheads around you, or whatever your choice explanation might be, then we will never come any closer to ultimately find a a solution because the first step in the solution comes to the realization, I can't control this one. I ain't got this. I can't handle this thing. I don't have a solution. We've each been hurt by others. We've each been raised by imperfect parents. We each live in imperfect circumstances. We each have troublesome personality preferences. We are each surrounded by flawed people. And yet, would I suggest to you that if that were not the case, if that were not the case, 
your tongue and my tongue would still be untamable. You still wouldn't be able to control your tongue. I still wouldn't be able to control my tongue because the real culprit in my tongue, with my tongue is, is not that which is not me, is not that which is outside of me. It is, it is a deeper problem within me. And as I bring this to a close, I'll just allude to the fact as we move further that the mouth only and always says what the heart tells it to say. Say, I, I don't know where that came from. Scripture knows where it came from. It, it, it came, your mouth just opens and your, and your mouth just simply lets out what's already there. Nothing outside of you put that in there. It was, it was already there. there it, the reason why our mouth is a world of unrighteousness is because our hearts apart from the grace of God are worlds of unrighteousness. The, the reason why our mouth is fire from hell is because our hearts are set on flame by the fires of hell. The reason why our mouths are restless evils is because there's a restless evil percolating in our hearts. The reason why our mouths are deadly poison is because there is deadly poison in our hearts. The scripture points us to a solution that's outside of us. The problem is inside of us. But this, the scriptures point us to a solution that's outside of us. To a risen Savior. Who not only laid down his life on the cross. So that we might receive pardon. For our sins. And in particular this morning. For all of the sins that we have perpetrated with our mouths. But he not only pardons us of our sins, but he indwells us by his own very presence. And part of what that means is now that the, the power of a sinful heart, the power of a bad mouth is remedied by the indwelling Jesus whose heart is good and whose mouth is perfect. And so while you and I cannot tame our hearts, there is one who can tame our hearts and our mouths. There is a Savior who is available. Psalm 119, therefore, teaches us to pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Or Psalm 141 pray, uh, teaches us to pray, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep a watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in the company of men who work iniquity and let me not eat their delicacies. Help me, Lord. The Lord is faithful. He will not turn away any who call upon him. 
he will not shut down and withhold help from any who call upon him. Call upon the Lord. Let's use our mouths by the grace of God to bring healing and not hurt. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word teaches us and addresses how we operate, how we talk, and even the underlying percolations of our heart that give rise to our speech. Father, we, we have no confidence that we could do any of what we've been admonished from your word to do this morning. And yet we leave here with great confidence that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. That you, Lord Jesus, indwell us by your spirit through faith. And now may your life be reflected in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name.